Amen. Hey, we are once again in our study, World Religions, Colts at the Occult. Number 13, Bobby, it is Charismatic Chaos with the exciting, extremely long tagline, The Untold History of the Charismatic Movement. That's right. Hey, we've already seen in our disclaimer, basically was, that's what the intro was, basically a disclaimer. I'm not here to basically, again, to use the phrase, poke people in the eye. I'm not trying to say that everybody who goes to a charismatic church is involved in a, a cult or doing occultic things, but since there's so much coming out of that movement, and uh, in, including what is in the workbook, one is Pentecostalism, we need to deal with it. And then we begin to dispel some lies out there, some myths. The charismatic movement is not some last day special movement. Uh-uh. We saw it is nothing new under the sun. Remember that? Just old-fashioned Montanism, uh, amongst other things. Then we even saw the tongues slash, it's not really tongues what they're doing, languages, that's the biblical gift, that when it was in function... Uh, the gibberish, even the gibberish that's going on today, that also is nothing new. The cults and the occult do that as well. Now, I want to make a little disclaimer. Last time I was ripping through a list of entities that I, we talked about dealing with the uh, tongues issue. It was a list that was, I had mentioned Gnostics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics, Quakers, Shakers, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Scientists, and the Worldwide Church of God. One thing I want to clarify is that not every single one of those uh, necessarily speak in tongues. Okay, for instance, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian Science, whatever. What, I, what needed to be said was that they are all also either speaking in tongues, saying that God's given another word and needs to be interpreted, or that they have the gift of prophecy. And this is going to be the theme of our study tonight, okay? Prophecy, that God told me to tell you, or God gave me a new revelation, right? All those, every single one of them, that is the basis of what they were doing. Not necessarily tongues. Now, however, uh, there are those in that list and I gave many examples uh, of that, uh, who do believe in the tongue-slash-gibberish thing. And that, of course, I gave many examples with the Mormons. And believe it or not, we're going to see even Catholics once we get there to with the charismatic Catholic renewal and all that stuff and that movement. So that little bit of disclaimer. But what we are basically going to talk about now is the spiritual gifts, because that's where we left off, because that's an abuse that's going on. This gibberish thing that's going on is an abuse of the gift called the gift of tongues. Literally what? What was the word there? Languages, that's all it is, based on the context and certainly the Greek word. But let's take a look at the three classic passages dealing with these spiritual gifts and just see what they are and then begin to tear things apart and see, unfortunately, where people are going wrong, specifically on this issue, prophecy. Okay, what's going on there? Romans chapter 12 is the first one. Turn to that. Romans chapter 12, of course, was written to the Romans. Yeah. And uh, let's take a look there. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And uh, the first section that deals with spiritual gifts that we receive when we get saved. We'll see that clearly in a second. Lord 1. Right? But uh, Paul says this. He says, verse 5, So in Christ we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. And we have what? Different gifts. Okay, verse 6. According to the grace given to us. Now, if a man's gift is what? What's the first one? Prophesying. That's what we'll talk about tonight. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Right? Now that's one. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Hang on right. 1 Corinthians 12. That's another list of potential gifts. Right? 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at 4 through 11. And then we're going to pop down to 28, verse 28 in 1 Corinthians 12, right? But let's take a look. It says right there, 1 Corinthians 12, there are what? Once again, different kind of gifts. But the who? Who gives them? 
The Spirit. And it's the same Spirit, right? There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? For yourself, to build yourself up. It's a private language. It's just for you. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. Uh, It's for the what? For the common good. The gifts are for the body of Christ, right? And that's not the only place. Now, to one there is given the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To others, gifts of healings by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To a, a, another, there it is again, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between the spirits. Or what we say, the gift of discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of languages or tongues, right? And to still another, the interpretation of those languages or tongues all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he who gives them well you don't need a class you don't need somebody to instruct you and show you how to do this and no he is the one who gives them to each one as who determines he determines right so you can jump up and down hoop and holler take a class grunt and groan pray and fast all you want it doesn't matter the holy spirit is one who distributes the gifts right now Let's go down to verse 28 there and pick up another little aspect there. And in the church, God has promised, first of all, the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts, okay, of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking different kinds of languages or tongues. There it is again. Now, one more, Ephesians chapter 4, hang another right. And, uh, and what you're basically seeing is a kind of a combination of the spiritual gifts and the certain offices, okay? You're looking at gifts and then gifted men. And there's a distinction. I'm going to bring that out tonight. Many people, if you don't get that, you get things all messed up, right? But let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, okay? And uh, verse 11. Let's take a look there and uh, see what Paul has to say. It, it, It was he who gave, who's he? God, who gave some to be what? Apostles, some to be prophets. Notice it's not the gift of prophecy. It's an office. Prophets, okay, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. If you've heard the term before, the fivefold ministry, that's where it comes from. But actually, it needs to be the fourfold ministry because the conjunction there and in the Greek is basically they're squished together. It's pastor that is teacher, meaning that if you're a pastor, you have to have the gift of teaching. Now, is that not a problem today? Uh, you see a lot of people who say that they're in, uh, to, called to be a pastor, but they ain't got the gift of teaching. You know, as the one guy would say, go, go stack chairs, do something else. Because that ain't working, and it shows, all right? But that's basically what we're doing. The spiritual gifts we see are identified in Romans 12. Uh, they are prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, uh, leadership, and mercy. Uh, it, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 then includes the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers. Again, prophecy, distinguishing between the spirits. Again, speaking in uh, tongues or languages and the interpretation of those tongues or languages. Okay, and then again, we saw the issue of the offices that were mentioned there with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastor teacher. Okay, but the big question we have is we're going to break this apart. Is okay, that's the spiritual gifts. That's a breakdown. There's the gifts, and then there's the office, and again. That will make sense, hopefully, in a second, why you need to distinguish those two, okay? Because I think there's a blurring of the lines there uh, in the charismatic movement or just other people in general. But the question is, when do we get the gifts? Here's the gifts. When do we get them? Well, you get them at salvation. When you get the Holy Spirit, who indwells you, okay? Let's take a look at our first video. When and how do we receive the Holy Spirit? 
The Apostle Paul clearly taught that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. 1 Corinthians 12.13 declares, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Romans 8.9 tells us that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ephesians 1, 13-14 teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for all those who believe. Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. These three passages make it clear that the Holy Spirit is received at the moment of salvation. Paul could not say that we were all baptized by one Spirit and all given one Spirit to drink if not all of the Corinthian believers possessed the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.9 is even stronger, stating that if a person does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. Therefore, the possession of the Spirit is an identifying factor of the possession of salvation. Further, the Holy Spirit could not be the seal of salvation if he is not received at the moment of salvation. Many scriptures make it abundantly clear that our salvation is secured the moment we receive Christ as Savior. This discussion is controversial because the ministries of the Holy Spirit are often confused. The receiving and dwelling of the Spirit occurs at the moment of salvation. The filling of the Spirit is an ongoing process in the Christian life. While we hold that the baptism of the Spirit also occurs at the moment of salvation, some Christians do not. This sometimes results in the baptism of the Spirit being confused with receiving the Spirit as an act subsequent to salvation. In conclusion, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit by simply receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we do receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes our permanent possession the moment we believe. And that's when you get the gifts. So when do you get the gifts? Same time you get the Spirit, which is... Right? The moment you get saved, right? Now, notice he brought that. We might have another study on this uh, later down the road. But notice he's talked about some confusion there. He talked about when you receive the Holy Spirit, which happens at salvation. But then, the, what's, uh, the Bible uses another term, uh, you baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, some want to say those are two different distinct events. No, we're talking about the one and the same thing. Baptizing in the Spirit is basically baptizo in the Greek, which means to be placed in, immersed into. That's why we say when we baptize somebody, they're what? Placed in, they're immersed right, into uh, the, the water. Uh, it was used of a, uh, like a, a ship that was sunk. It was baptizoed. It was immersed completely under the water. That's why we would hold to that instead of the sprinkling on that issue, on the baptism issue. All right, but that's what it means. It means to be placed into, okay? So how do we know it's the same event as the moment you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, when do you get placed into Christ? When, when does the Holy Spirit get placed into you? When are you baptized in the Spirit? At the moment. So it's synonymous. Well, people want to, the charismatic movement, frankly, they want to say, no, this is a second work. This is a second deal. And what, and what they do is then they, they confuse the other one that's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, okay, or the filling. Okay, the indwelling happens when you get saved, but the filling of the Spirit. I'm not a big fan of that word, even in the English. In most translations, that's what they have. That's really not what's going on there in the Greek. A better understanding would be under the control of, under under the control. Like, for instance, if a person filled themselves, if you will, with alcohol, what's going to happen? You're under the control of, under the influence of alcohol. That's why Paul says, don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. What's he talking about? Don't be under the control of 
wine be under the control of the Spirit. Now, what he's talking about there, that is a daily thing that we are under the control of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is to be under the control of the Spirit. That's a daily procedure. That's our walk with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5 when he says the benefits of when you what? You walk, you live, you keep in step with the Spirit. What do you mean? You walk, you allow Him to control you, right? You live and He controls you. As we saw there, when it says to keep in step with, it's a military term. Like when He takes a step, you take a step, right? You're right on, you're in tandem with Him and complete. Why? Because He is the one who's controlling you. That's what it means. That's the daily thing. But because they, they, they confuse this terminology, they want to split it and to make it into uh, this, this second work. There is no second work. The, the, after you get, when you get saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And when you got saved, you're baptized in the Spirit. You're placed into the Spirit. The Spirit's placed into you. You're baptized in the Spirit. It's a one same time event. From that day forward, the challenge is not getting more of the Holy Spirit because you already got Him. It's the Holy Spirit getting more of you as you yield to Him every day. That's what He's talking about. But people confuse that in much of the charismatic movement and they want to make this into a secondary work. Now, real quick, and we might again have another study on this. Why would they say that this is a second work? Because even back to this issue of gibberish or what they would call tongues, okay, they would say, well, see, you need to be baptized into the Spirit. Yeah, I know you're saved, they'll say, but you need to be baptized into the Spirit. And the evidence that you experience that second blessing, whatever term they want to use, okay, is you start speaking forth in, and it's not even a legitimate gift, it's the gibberish thing. No, you're confused. That's a one-time event, Now, what they'll use for a proof text, they'll try to, is to go to the book of Acts. Okay, the book of Acts. And they'll they'll bring up passages where they say, well, see, see, these people uh, were Christians. They professed Christ, but they didn't receive the Spirit until after the apostles showed up. Okay, and then it says they received the Spirit, and then there was evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, first of all, you've got to understand the book of Acts is what's called a transitional book. Right? They were transitioning from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to the New Testament, the New Covenant. They were living this thing in action, live. You and I have 2,000 years of hindsight to look back and say, oh, that's how it all worked. And, and, and that. But that was them. The church was born. Acts chapter 2. Right. So as we're going to see tonight, not all gifts, not all offices, including the apostles, okay, function for today. Why? Because it was for a special time to validate... The new message, the new covenant, right? Because you got to put it in context, right? These guys, it, the first church, the early church was made up of what? Before Paul and Barnabas went to the Gentiles, it was all who? Jewish, right? So here comes these new guys on the scene. They talk about this guy who people heard about was crucified and killed, you know, and then all of a sudden they say, no, he's alive, right? And then, oh, by the way, we no longer need to follow the law. Now it's by means of the spirit of God that we, and they're looking at you like, What? So how do and what method does God use to validate that you're switching from the old to the new? And as we'll see if we get that far tonight, it's nothing new. He's done this before. He validates that message with signs, wonders, and miracles from the apostles. The word apostles, apostolos, means one sent forth on a commission. So the apostles were sent forth on a commission to begin to proclaim this new revelation of the new covenant Right, And so people are going like, yeah, right, buddy. Well, that's why they had supernatural powers at that time to heal people, to do things like that nature. Even the gift of legitimate gift of tongues, languages, was not a sign for believers. It was a sign for 
Unbelievers for the Jewish people. We'll get to that just in a second. So even that's being abused today. But anyway, so it validates. So people say, wow, this has got to be true. Why? Because of the miracles that were being done. Jesus did the same thing. When he comes on the scene, he said he wasn't the first one to come on the scene and say he was the Messiah. So how did he prove his Messiahship? He did miracles, right? It's the same thing in the early church. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 2. So then why was there initially at that point a delay that when somebody professed Christ as Savior, then all of a sudden the apostles show up and then they received the Holy Spirit? It's not because it was a second work. It was because they were going there to validate, okay, that in this case, now because you're moving, remember it's a transitional book, Acts chapter 2 is in Jerusalem. Now they're going out into the Gentiles and to the Jewish person going, excuse me, the Gentiles can be saved? <laughs> okay, now you're blowing it here, right? So how does God validate? Yes, it's for one and all, Jew and Gentile. Later, we read all this Paul's writings. Acts is living it live. So what happens is they go to the Gentiles, and when the apostles show up to validate that it really is, then God shows that it's true by what? Boom, that's when they get there. Now, after the message gets validated, do you ever see anything of that nature? No, it becomes solidified, right? And that now when somebody gets saved, when you're saved, you immediately what? Receive the Holy Spirit. You're baptized, you're dwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? Why? Because the message doesn't need to be validated. The message has been validated for 2,000 years, what we call the New Testament. You see what I'm saying? As well as the offices and certain gifts, we don't need to have them valid. They're not in function because those gifts were what's called sign gifts. They're a sign to validate the new message. Make sense? Now, if you don't get that, that's where all this confusion is going on with the gifts. Now, because you and I, we would say that there's certain gifts that are not in functions. We're not saying there's no gifts. We're not saying that God can't do a miracle. Nobody's saying that. The question is, which gifts are in function for today? Right? The charismatics would say it's one and everything. If it's in the Bible, you can do it then, you can do it today. And we'll put that to the test, okay? So anyway, that's when we get the gifts, okay? Wow, we've got a lot to go. All right, the second question is, not just when do we get them, right? And clarify the difference between indwelling, receiving, baptism, all that stuff, okay? Is we already saw the text, but I want to just break it down. Who gives them? Now, that was the text, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. We read that, and I highlighted it when I spoke it. He gives them as he wills, Right? The Holy Spirit gives them. Again, I can't believe it that enough. We, if you were here last week, we saw that video. The guy was trying to instruct people into what? Speaking gibberish. Excuse me? If this is a true gift from the Holy Spirit, why do you need to be taught? That's not how it works. Besides, you can jump up and down, take a class, do what you want. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to change nothing. Because you got the gifts when? The moment you got saved, if you're a true born-again Christian. And number two, it wasn't determined by you. Well, I want this one. Boy, isn't that the problem. Corinth. Because we're going to see, that's why Paul's writing the letter. It ain't about you, man. You need to be thankful for the gifts that God's given you and get busy using them. Okay? But anyway, so we're getting ahead of myself, all right? Okay, but what about those who say, here's the issue. There are those that say, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I'm just, just supposed to be happy with what I got at salvation? Doesn't the scripture say in 1 Corinthians 12, you are, eager, you are to eagerly desire the greater gifts? Let's go, let's go, go real quick. I want, to, I want to show you this because this needs to be dispelled. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, let's go back there. And uh, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, yeah, 31. And Paul's concluding, oh, by the way, uh, start in, in, in 29, start in 29, 1 Corinthians 12, 20. Paul clearly says, are all apostles, what's that mean? No, are all prophets? No, are all teachers? 
Do all work miracles? Listen, do all have the gifts of healing? No. And listen, here it is. Do all speak in tongues? Well, of course not. And we'll get to the reason why, hopefully here in a second. But wait a second. So why would you sit there? Some groups, like we're going to see in the charismatic communities, they would say, if you don't have the gift of tongues, which really isn't languages anyway, it's gibberish, whatever. But they say, if you don't have it, you're not saved. Well, how could that be true, period, when Paul clearly says not all have that? And he's talking to the church, right? Or how could people look down on you and say, well, you're just not like me. You can't do this gibberish thing or whatever. And I'm, because I'm, I got this second blessing and it just popped out and did all this stuff. And if it's so important, how come we all don't have it? Is God playing favors? That's not what God says. He says he doesn't play favors. There is no favoritism with God, the scripture says. But anyway, do all have tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But here's the problem text. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Again, like the issue with the filling, which means under the control of. Filling gives you the idea that you're lacking in something and you need more. That's not what the word says. Okay, as we already did. Same thing that's going on here. The verb tensing is wrong. How it literally should read, and this is no abuse of the text. This is literally what the Greek is. You can check it out yourself. How it literally should read is, but you are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. Right? What's going on here is it is not a command to do, eagerly desire the greater gifts. It's Paul is pointing out the problem, which is why he's even writing this section. But you are eagerly desiring the gifts. Paul's whole point was this. First of all, why would Paul say that you need to eagerly desire the gifts when you're not the one who determines them? He just said earlier, who gives them? The Holy Spirit. So if this is really what he's saying, why would he be saying to eagerly desire them? Because it won't change a thing because it's up to the Spirit, right? And plus, if the gifts are for the common good, as we clearly saw, then why would Paul say, but you, you get, try to get that, that other one and outdo your brother and sister in Christ because you could have that. That's not what he's saying. It's an unfortunate translation. What he's pointing out is their problem, but you are eagerly desiring the greater gifts is the verb intensing that's going on there. He's pointing out their problem, okay? And that's why he, what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? For those of you hooked on numbers, 1 Corinthians 13, which is what? What we call the love chapter. What's the love chapter? It's that beautiful passage that we read in our wedding. It, yeah, we read it through wedding, but what's he talking about? He's talking about in the context there before he gets to 14 and their abuse of the one gift, the sign gift, the gift of languages. He's saying, let me show you a more excellent way, right? Love. Take the gift that God gave you at salvation for the common good. Get busy using it. You know what your problem is, Corinth? You are eagerly desiring the so-called greater gifts. That's what's going on in the text there. It's actually a rebuke from Paul. But then it's twisted today to be as a command to do. No, it's not. Right? So I wanted to dispel that. Now, number three. All right, that's the big other issue. Okay, so that's when, that's who. How do you know? Right? How do you know? Right? I, I, I've actually shared this sometimes in uh, uh, marital counseling sessions. And, and I say, hey, guys, yeah. I don't know if you get tired of that uh, mind-reading game that couples play. You ever do that? Or somehow they think that you are absolutely God himself, who's omniscient and knows what people are thinking. No couples ever do that, right? You should know. If you loved me, you would know. <laughs> you don't know, right? Anyway, so, but, but I said, hey, do you want to just cut to the chase? 
Here's just one simple technique. If you want to avoid all that hassle of just wondering, why are they so upset? Or how come we're not getting along? Or what, what can I do to fix this? Or what do we need to change? Here it is. You ready? You don't even have to buy a book for this. Ready? Ask them. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> now you know why people don't come to counseling anymore. But no, seriously. It, it, really, that's just it. Ask them. And here's the thing. How do you know? How do you know what's, what gift you got? Ask them. Ask God. Right? I mean, that's, I call those a no-brainer prayer. Right? If anybody wants to know the gift that he's given you, don't you think it's God? Oh, no. He's going to be up there going, <laughs> watch this. They're going to struggle for five years. I'll never tell them. I'll just give them little hints here and there. Because I, I, Are you kidding me? Ask him. And I think that's the half the problem. Christians aren't even asking, what gift do I have? You know why? Because their mindset when it comes to the church is not, listen, serve. It's serve me. It's twisted. The reason why we get together is for the edification of the body. Everybody should have something to offer. And when everybody comes in with that attitude of serving with the gifts that God supernaturally gave you, man, that's when the body's functioning awesome. But I don't even think a lot of Christians even ask because they don't, they just, you know, it's that self-service mentality. Now, let me give you a couple other hints. Sometimes I think it's what's called, I call, uh, self-evident. Right? You ask, but then sometimes all of a sudden you're going like, wow, that wasn't there before. Uh, a, a couple of, let me give you a couple of examples. Right after I got saved, I believe one of the gifts that I'd saved, uh, got, got when I got saved, was the gift of encouragement. And it was, it was self-evident. It was just something that was not there before. Also with the gift of teaching. I'll get to that in a second. And it was like, I, I just had this, it was not even a knack. It was just like this innate desire when I, just talking. I would, just, I would always want to encourage people. But encourage them in what? You need to learn to be a better you and build yourself. As, no, it was in the, in the Word of God, right? Where, wow, where'd that come from? I mean, literally, it was just like Captain Positive. <laughs> Wow, well, that wasn't there before. That's the gift of encouragement. So, so that was self-evident because it was just popping out. So sometimes that's how you find out. Number one, pray. Number two, self-evident. Another way is what I call self-exploration. In other words, you got to try, okay? Sitting on the pew... In your uh, blessed assurance, uh, you're probably not going to find out. You need to get your feet wet. You need to try. Although I've heard testimonies that apparently nobody in the universe has the gift of serving in the nursery. <laughs> okay, that's always a one that's always a challenge. It seems right, uh, but but no, you can try. How, how do you know that you try? Your greatest ability is your availability. Try something, right? The, the old analogy: which is easier to steer? A car that's uh, parked in the driveway or one that's at least moving down the road. Yeah, you're not, at, you're not at your destination yet, but at least you're moving. And sometimes God will steer you to understanding where that gift is. If you just get moving, get out of the pew, do something, try something. If it ain't working, okay, move on to the other one. I, quit. I tried one time to you know, work with the third graders and, and, and I, I, I just about had a lawsuit because I... <laughs> okay, so that's not your gift. So I quit. I've been, serving, I've been sitting here for 20 years. No, move on to the next one. Try something. Because you got to, if you're a born again Christian, you got a gift. And listen, the body of Christ is being robbed of that. It's not just a gift, it's a supernatural gift. And dare I say, I will tell you this you will be a half baked, unsatisfied Christian until you get busy doing what God saved you for. We are saved, not Ephesians 2, 8, 9, read 10. 
right? You're not just saved by grace through faith. What? And not of works, lest anyone should boast. Keep reading. Why? He saved us for what? For the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. What are those works? The works that he gifted us to do when we got saved. You are going to be restless until you do what God has gifted you to do. So you got to try. Another one that I would say is self-equipping. If you can actually read this. You need the gift of languages. But anyway, uh, the self, that's, a, that's a joke for those of you on tape. It's a joke, a funny, ha uh-huh. Okay, uh, self-equipping. Okay, self-equipping, right? And so in other words, you got the gift, but it needs to be equipped. And that's an easy one. At least I'll give you what I went through, a, a teaching. Now, again, teaching was sort of self-evident. Nine, weeks after I got, or nine months after I got saved was my first opportunity to, to, to serve. And that was to co-teach a youth. And I just had this knack to, it's just as like, as, you know, I'm still young, obviously in the Lord. I don't know a whole lot of the scripture. It's only been nine months since I'm saved. And, but man, I just had this ability to, to look at the scripture and just, just put it in, in, in logical order and what in that flow. I'm going to go, that was, that was never there before. So, so there was evidences of that from the get-go. But that's a particular gift. It's like, okay, I got saved, got the gift of teaching. Here we go. Let's go start Bible college. No, that's a particular gift that you want to what? Get discipled in, especially if you're going to be what? Be teaching the Word of God. Even the great apostle Paul, did he hit the road right away? Yeah, he did, but eventually he got what? God let him spend some time, you're right, Bobby, in Arabia. Okay, then he comes out ministry. So I believe there's sometimes an equipping process. So, but the big question is, are you even asking? Are you even getting your feet wet? Are you even trying? Or because you almost choked that third grade, you quit? No, just do something. Don't quit until you find out. You're always going to be restless, all right? So, so that's, that's, that's basically what we're doing uh, with the how. God calls some to be teachers, and he gives them the gift of teaching. God calls some to be servants, and he blesses them with the gift of helps. Uh, uh, but here's the issue. Let's flip it around real quick. I think some people also get ahead of the, of the course. They want to be that pastor. But you know what? Because, and remember, I think some of it, too, is a pride or an arrogance thing. Listen, if you, if you think... I, I, the interns can, you guys can vouch for this. I say all the time, if you ain't called to ministry, get out of here. Do yourself, do a potential church a favor, get out of here. Because you'll get chewed alive. Because this better be a supernatural work of God, or you're going to get chewed alive. And you'll fall flat in your face. Right? I think some people want to put themselves in that position because it's the same problem that the Corinthians had. You are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. You're missing the point. Just do what God's going Oh, no, but I just have to be the pastor. I have to be the one in charge of this ministry. I have to do this. I... You ain't got the gift of teaching. You're disqualified. But, but, but I like to talk. <laughs> I actually had a guy say that one time. We were in this men's Bible study. Uh, one is an associate pastor, and he was an uh, older uh, gentleman. He was getting ready to retire, and, and he, he's been, you know, he's still, you know, been a Christian for a while, but he'd never really been a disciple. But he was making great headway. And he comes in, and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, Pastor Billy. He says, uh, I think I've got a plan. I'm going to retire here soon. And, and he says, I think I want to I go into ministry. I want to be a pastor. And I'm going like, wow. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to get signed up in Bible college. He's going to get some training. Oh, no, no. I says, really? He goes, yeah. And he was just stone cold, dead face, right? He says, I mean, because, I mean, after all, I like to talk. <laughs> now, I didn't choke a third grader, uh, but I just about, his name was Larry. Larry, there's more to that than that. No, but, <laughs> this, no, all right. But how many times do you see people that, frankly, they're, with all due respect, they may be a pastor. 
They may be a Sunday school teacher, but you know what they ain't got? They ain't got the teaching, gift of teaching. You know why? It shows, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? Huh? Or dare I say, man, you're so sloppy with the scripture and you got false teaching. Yeah, now you went to the problem. Or some people, they, they say, I want to be a counselor. I want to help Christians and people in need. But they ain't got the gift of mercy or encouragement. And you go to them for counsel and what? <laughs> Feel worse than when you went. Get it. That's not your gift, right? So get out of there, right? So again, flip it around. It can be that. All right, now let's, let's, let's move on. We suffer, oh, basically, we suffer from what I call in the church, warm body syndrome. Anybody comes up, hey, you need some help in the Sunday school class? I'll do it. Okay, sign them up. You didn't talk to them. You don't even know if they're even saved, right? Do they even have the gift? What are you doing, right? Well, so-and-so, they own a business, so let them put them in charge of the finances. That doesn't mean they're honest. That doesn't mean they're even saved. But they they know how to work a calculator. That's what I call warm body syndrome. Anybody with a warm body, you got a pulse? Okay, slap them in there. Man, that's when you really get into trouble. With churches, okay? Now, the other is, all right, let's start to break it down. What are the gifts, okay? And believe it or not, shocker, we're only going to have time for one, prophecy. <laughs> right? Now, basically, the gifts are in two categories, right? Two categories, as we're going to see. Uh, one, you're going to see the permanent, okay, the gifts that are still in function for today, and the other ones that are called temporary, for these reasons to validate, we'll get in a second, Temporary, or what's also called sign gifts. They were given as a sign to validate this new revelation, i.e. the New Testament. But once that's been validated, you don't need it anymore. That's all it is. Right? Now, that's basically your two categories. Now, you could further uh, break that down into uh, a, a couple of different categories. You had the people that was called continuationism. For those of you hooked on big theological terms, that's basically the gifts, all of them continue. That's the charismatic approach. Or you have what's called cessationism. They have ceased. That's what you and I would say. Not all of them, but some of them. Okay. But let's get to that first one, prophecy there. That was mentioned there in Romans chapter 12 and others. Prophecy, it's prophetia in the Greek. Now, this is where it gets very confusing with the charismatic church. They tried to blend a gift with an office. And they get it wrong. Let me, let me draw that distinction. The gift of prophecy is prophetia, and it means a speaking forth, a discourse from divine inspiration, declaring the purposes of God, admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted. Uh, afflicted. It is declaring the divine will to interpret the purposes of God or to make known in any way the truth that God has de- uh, de- uh, designed to influence people. So who would be a person today who would say has the gift of prophecy based on the Greek definition? Be a pastor teacher, right? Because what is a pastor teacher doing? He is being a prophesier. He is speaking forth the counsel of God. It means simply preaching. You're preaching God's word. That's all it means. And we're being legit. We're not just saying, well, you're, you're holding, I'm not holding back nothing. Listen, it does not mean this is where people get into trouble. They sing prophecy, right? They're, that means that they, this, they're foretelling the future. No, they're telling, proclaiming God's truth. The gift of prophecy is not one who foretells the future. It does not mean they're reading a crystal ball. It just means the gift of teaching. Now, here's where they make a double mistake. Not only is that what it means, is to declare God's word, okay, not foretell the future, and certainly not a new word, okay, but they do think there's a gift of prophecy, and there's an office or a ministry called a prophet, 
And that's what we mentioned there. I mentioned that. Now, and that's why I had us. And they're two different things. If you don't get these right, you're in real big trouble. Right? Because you'll, you'll mesh them all together in the scripture. It's wrong. Right? 1 Corinthians 28 shows us the difference. Okay? And that's why I had you pop down to read that. In verse 10 of chapter 12, when we went there, that's where we saw prophecy as a gift. Verse 28, if you want to go and look at there, you're going to see that God gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, okay, and some teachers. That's not a gift. That's an office. That's a man. One is a gift. One is an office. One is a gift that's given to a person. One is an office that a man upholds, okay? In verse 10, you have the gift of prophecy. In verse 8, you got the office of a prophet. They are radically, completely different. You got that? That's just looking at the Bible. They are not one and the same. Okay, And again, that's why I had you also read Ephesians 4, what's called the fivefold ministry, but it's really four. Because in that text it says, speaking of the offices, not the gift, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Right? We have evangelists, okay? we got pastor, teachers, but you don't have in function today apostles or prophets. Okay? Why? Because the role of the apostles and the prophets, okay, were to declare the new teaching, right? But guess what? The new teaching is all recorded for us. So do we need those offices anymore? No, again, apostle means apostolos. It means one sent forth on the commission. What's the commission? The commission is to declare we are moving from the old covenant to the new covenant, Right? And I'm going to give you guys supernatural gifts because nobody's going to basically believe you. In fact, I'm going to give you specific gifts just for the Jewish people, hence tongues, languages. We'll get to that in a second. Okay? But they're still not going to listen to me. Okay? But they did it to validate the message. Okay? And so since we have the message validated for us, why would we need those offices? Now, do we still need people to evangelize? Yes. Do we still need pastor teachers? Yes, right? Because they're not telling us something new. They're just telling you what's already there. Do you see the difference? That's all it is. But the charismatic movement says, oh, no, everything. All goes, all gifts, all offices, right? You'll have people say, well, I know apostle so-and-so's coming to town, their ministry, or prophet or prophetess, you know, and they got a new word from God. They had this dream. This That's an abuse of what's really going on. Uh, in the text. The Bible says also that the apostles and the prophets, listen, Ephesians 2.20 informs us that the church is built on the foundation, yes, of Jesus Christ, but it also says in Ephesians 2.20 that they was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But if the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church and you say they're continuing today, does that mean we're still building on that foundation? Does that mean we still have a new revelation coming? Does that mean we need to record a new, new testament? And that's the correct answer. But see, that's the problem. These people saying that there is an apostle today. There is a prophet, not a prophetia, a pastor who's just declaring God's word. But we're talking a new word. Then if this is really true, then why aren't you recording a new, new testament? Because that's what those offices were for. Again, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right Now, believe it or not, unfortunately, I think there are some that would want to say, yeah, this is a new thing from God, and we need to heed to that as if it was the actual Word of God, the Bible. It's crazy, folks. It's how abused that it's getting uh, today. Okay, So the, that is all done. So the gift of prophecy 
and a prophet are two different things. It belonged to a special call for a special time in history. The first century church, what's called the apostolic era. There are no prophets today. There are no uh, uh, apostles today, right? Now, here, here's what uh, people will say. They'll say, well, listen, if it was good for then, it's good for today. I mean, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, the Bible does record for us, you know, that uh, uh, all kinds of things. But that doesn't mean it's, you know, for today. It doesn't even mean it's a good thing to do. Did you know the Bible actually records, and Judas went and hung himself? Bible says it. Let's go. Context, context, context. Did you know the Jewish people actually would have this uh, system that when they sinned, they had to go kill an animal for the, for the forgiveness of their sins? I mean, it's in the Bible. How come we're not doing that today? Right? Because that was for then at that time. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's always applicable. And, and that's what people do. They cherry pick. To use the term, they cherry pick. Well, I'll take that verse here and I say that it applies to your mixing and mashing. You can't do that, right? Now, those who would say that the gifts continue, they would actually say that there is no scriptural evidence that certain gifts or offices have. Uh, there's no scriptural evidence that that's true. Well, let me give you just a couple of them. Uh, we would point to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13.10 and say again that this is the issue of and when the scripture was being validated, the New Testament, it was needed. But now that that's complete, we don't need it anymore. Let me read that to you. Uh, or you can mark it, look at it later. First Corinthians 13, 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And, and, and our camp understanding would say, well, what is that perfect that would be the completed work of the scripture of the New Testament, the new covenant, right? That we are relying and standing upon. And so now that it is completed, because remember, these guys are living it live. And it needs to be validated with these miracles so people would believe. But now that it's recorded, why do you need this anymore? So that, that's one verse. Another one would be 2 Corinthians 12. Let me read that for you. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done with you with great perseverance. And again, uh, we would say that certain gifts uh, and the offices, uh, like the healing, the, pro- the prophecy, foretelling the future and something new, miracles were limited to the time of the apostles because again, the purpose of that was to validate their message so people would believe, okay, as well. And, but again, people would sit there and say, well, well, if it was good for them, then it's got to be good for today. Well, again, I already gave you a couple examples, but let me give you some specific examples where God gives people supernatural giftings for a specific time temporarily to validate the message. Let's go back to Moses, right? Moses had a couple, uh, literally to use the term, a couple tricks up his sleeve. Okay, because why would God give Moses supernatural abilities? Because he's on the backside of the desert, Right For 40 years, all of a sudden he shows up and says, Hey, I had a vision. I spoke to God in a burning bush. Come follow me out here in this desert. Woo-hoo! Let my people go. Yeah, right, buddy. Better get away from that burning bush. Right? Right? So how, how are they going to believe him? What did God do? He says, I'll tell you what. And that's what he said. God, how are they going to believe me? He what? He could stick his hand what? Into his cloak there and pull it out and what? Leprosy. Why did God do that? Because it was something supernatural. So people go, whoa, 
Maybe it's true. Maybe that did come from God to validate the message. Right? And what was the other thing? He could throw down his staff and turn into a snake. Right? Why did God do that? Because that makes for a great show. That'll bring in the crowd. No. So the people going like, yeah, here's this guy. We haven't seen him in 40 years. Last time we saw him, he murdered a guy. Now he's back. He saw this burning bush, and then we're supposed to leave and go in the desert. God does this miracle, miraculous thing. So, whoa. So what does it do? The miracles are signs to validate his message. Now, do people do that today? No. We don't even think about it. You never hear people say, hey, come to this uh, charismatic experience. And this guy, he can put his hand into his jacket and out comes leprosy. You never hear that one. How come? Hey, if it was good for then, it's good for today. How come you're not doing that one? Although I will say that I've heard stories of people putting their hand in a bucket with this, this logo on it with a chicken head. Yeah, and it might as well be. Uh, no, I digress. That was another joke. Joke two, joke funny, funny, haha. Okay, I have to clarify. Right? Or, or how come they are not throwing things down and turns into snakes? I mean, it was good for them. It was good for today. What? It was a temporary sign, a temporary miraculous event to validate the message, man, God's message, God's man for that time. Let me give you another one. How about the uh, uh, Elijah, Elijah, the prophets, right? Who were declaring God's truth, right? Uh, Israel at that time was surrounded by people that were lying prophets. They'd tell them just whatever, what they always wanted to hear. So here comes these guys and just tell them the exact opposite. No, God's mad with you. You need to repent and destruction is coming if you don't. Yeah, right, buddy. No, God will never destroy the temple, the temple, the temple. Really? So what's God do? He gives them what? Supernatural signs, right? How many guys wish you had the ability to make an axe head float once it's sunk in the water? Because my mind goes to youth function, youth function. This is going to be a great way to... You go to every golf course across America and you make all the... In the ponds, all the golf balls that you know are by the thousand. You'll make them float up, skim them off, sell them at a cut rate price. That You could buy a youth van. You could do all... Man, that'd be awesome to have that gift. Or they also had the ability, what? At certain times, they had the ability to... Uh, uh, with the prophet there, that the, the jar of oil and the jug of, uh, of flour uh, didn't go dry. Now, wouldn't you want to have one of those for your gas tank? <laughs> Woo, fill it up, baby. Right? Hey, why don't you have that today? It's good for this. It's good for today. Same thing with Jesus, right? Jesus did all these miracles, right? Oh, if you guys, it's good for this. It's good for today. Charismatic community, with all due respect. How can you be walking on water? It's, good. it's in the Bible. It's good for this. It's good. Why was that gift given to Jesus? To validate he's the Messiah. Go one step further. Why did the apostles... Why were there prophets in the beginning? Why did they have these supernatural powers? Silver and gold, I don't have. But you know what? Watch this. I'm going to validate the message. Boom! Instantly healed. Why? Because it was to validate the message. Because again, Jesus just died. Who's going to believe him, right? And then you're on top of that. The Jewish community, you're saying, we're moving from the old covenant to the new. What? And so he gave. So, but guess what? All that's recorded for us, it's all in the scripture. It's all clarified. The dust is settled, if you will, to use the term. So guess what? You don't need that anymore. That's the difference that's going on there. Oh, and by the way, uh, real quick, uh, let me give you that one verse. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, tongues are a sign uh, uh, not to them that believe. Uh-oh. I'm just quoting Bible here. You can check it out yourself. But to them that believe not. But wait a second, you're saying everybody has to have this, right? Paul already said not everybody does. But now we're even told that the purpose really wasn't even for the church. 
Back Acts chapter 2, when they begin to speak in legitimate languages, who was it assigned to? All the Jewish people coming to the Jerusalem, it was assigned to them. So how could you say that it's for us today? It's not. So not only are you abusing it, it's never been gibberish, it's languages, you're taking it out of context, and then you say everybody has to have it when Paul clearly says no, but that, that particular gift is what's called a sign gift. It was never for the church. And again, that was their problem. You were eagerly desiring the greater gifts, you know, the showy ones. <laughs> Let me show you an excellent way. It's love. You're missing the whole point. Get busy doing what God's gift to do. That's not what it's for. Now, why is it called also a sign gift? Why did God give the gift of tongues as a sign gift? Well, we get that from 1 Corinthians 14, and he's quoting Isaiah. Let me read to that. In the law it is written through the men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, Israel is the context there, but even then they will not listen to me. 14.22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, Pastor, teacher, prophetia, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. It's for edified. Do you see the difference there? I'm just quoting scripture. And again, he's quoting Isaiah that was prophesied. Very well then, Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. Very well then, with the foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people, to him whom he said, this is the, my resting place, let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose, but they would not listen. So again, a triple no-no with the gift of tongues. It's not gibberish. It's not for everybody, and it's never even meant for the church. It was for a sign for the Jewish people. But it was a temporary one, okay, now that the message is validated. We've already seen uh, that uh, apostolic fathers, we didn't see that. But let me give you another one. If, in fact, the gift of languages, the legitimate gift of languages was available for today, this is just some common sense thinking, then there would be no need for missionaries to attend language school, Right? Why do we mess our time with that? that? That just takes long. How many years do they spend before they get out on the field? Just get out there, man. And if it's up to you and you can pray and take a class and somebody could teach you how to speak in this. Missionaries would be able to travel any country, speak any language fluently, just as the apostles were able to speak. Why aren't you doing that today? But, but, because that's not what it's for. Also, the miracle gift of healing, as we see in Scripture. Again, that was done by Jesus. That was done by the apostles. Why? To validate the message. Message is validated. We don't need it for today, right? Now, listen to this. Uh, if, in fact, that were the case, and it was something for always at all time, even with Paul, who did have that gift, but eventually, listen to this. Paul did raise Eutychus from the dead, Acts 20, but he did not heal Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, Trophimus, 2 Timothy 4, Timothy himself, 1 Timothy 5, or even himself, 2 Corinthians 12, was the reason for Paul's failure is because he lost the gift or he didn't have enough faith, as some people would say uh, today. Okay, also, frankly, if people had that gift of healing, why don't you at every single hospital, every infirmary, in the name of Jesus Christ, and then, now, now get, that boy, would that be a purpose, a good use? But that's not what they're doing. You need to come to me, pay 50 bucks a head, or who knows how much they charge, to my supposed healing conference. And you know what my backup plan is when you don't get healed, which doesn't happen? It's you. You didn't have enough faith. What a racket. Okay? It's going on there. All right. Now, uh, are the gifts uh, all for today? No. I think we can make that case. Let's watch this video. 
first. It is important to recognize that this is not a question of whether God still performs miracles today. It would be foolish and unbiblical to claim that God does not heal people, speak to people, and perform miraculous signs and wonders today. The question is whether the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, described primarily in 1 Corinthians 12-14, through are still active in the church today. This is also not a question of can the Holy Spirit give someone a miraculous gift. The question is whether the Holy Spirit still dispenses the miraculous gifts today. Above all else, we entirely recognize that the Holy Spirit is free to dispense gifts according to His will. In the book of Acts and the epistles, the vast majority of miracles are performed by the apostles and their close associates. Paul gives us the reason why. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. If every believer in Christ was equipped with the ability to perform signs, wonders, and miracles, then signs, wonders, and miracles could no way be the identifying marks of an apostle. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that Jesus was accredited by miracles, wonders, and signs. Similarly, the apostles were marked as genuine messengers from God by the miracles they performed. Acts chapter 14, verse 3 describes the gospel message being confirmed by the miracles Paul and Barnabas performed. The primary purpose of the miraculous gifts were to prove that the gospel was true and that the apostles were truly God's messengers. There you go. So again, we're not saying that uh, God can't heal somebody if he wants to. Of course he can. We're not saying that he can't perform a miracle. God can do whatever he wants to do. What we're saying is when it comes to certain offices, like the apostle or the prophet telling new revelation, or certain gifts, like the gift of legitimate languages, which were not for the church, they were a sign for the Jewish people, and certain gifts that had miraculous powers to heal every single time, etc., etc., those are not in function for today because they were just like with Moses, just like the, uh, Elijah and Elijah and the other prophets, just like Jesus, just like the apostles of the early church. They were given at a special time for a special season to validate a new revelation from God. That's it. Okay? And this is why Christians are to be wary of those who claim to have a new message from God. And folks, can I tell you something? That is the heartbeat of the charismatic movement. Right? It's a new revelation from God. You know, uh, It's one thing to say, quote, I had an interesting dream last night, but it's quite another matter to say, God gave me a dream last night and you must obey it. I was sitting there and I was sitting in the half lotus position and then, I, and then somebody, they, I had this, uh, they threw a Snickers and it hit me in the head. And then my eyes started to twitch. I had this vision and I saw America burning with fire. And I saw, and this comes up every single year. And I, God told me to tell you and the whole internet audience that Las Vegas is going to burn. It's going to burn with a nuclear bomb. I've heard that every year since I've been here. But every year is supposed to happen that year. Because God gave me a new... The lost sees this. And that just makes our job, who don't go into that realm, because it's unbiblical, much harder. Because the lost doesn't know the difference between, oh, that's just those charismatic extremist people. This is really a more biblical Christian I'm speaking with here. No, we get lumped in together. And they look at us like, oh, you're one of those. I had a dream. God told me to tell you, to tell me, to tell you. Are you kidding me? This is the problem that we're facing us today. No utterance of man should be considered equal 
to or above the written word of God. We must hold to the word that God has already given and commit ourselves to the classic phrase, the Reformation, just one of them, solo scripture, which means what? Scripture alone. There is no new revelation coming. This is it. It's all we need. And you hear me say it all the time. Since when did this become not good enough? Since when do I have to go to so-and-so and and prophet so-and-so and and apostle this and apostle that, blah, 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 because they had a new vision, new dream, new thing, new whatever. You saw the one lady, man. She's shaking her head. Really? And I'm supposed to listen to that? And as as thus saith the Lord, what is going on here? The danger is now you're outside the scope of Scripture. And this is where a category that the Bible does talk about would come, including the last days. And that's where you get into what's called false prophets. You know why? There's so many, I would say, false prophets, false teachers in the church today. Not only because the Bible that we stick with said it's going to happen, but because in the last days we have this rise of the charismatic movement that says those gifts that are no longer in function are functioning today, and therefore you need to listen to me. And they're spouting forth false prophecies. That's the sad irony uh, what's going on there. Now, man, I thought I was going to get there, but it ain't going to happen. Lord willing, next time, we're going to get into examples of modern day in the church from the charismatic movement, people who would consider themselves functioning as an office of a prophet. And again, the problem is there's the interchange. They think that the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet are one and the same. They're not. And the one's not even in function. But these are going to be people you'll see with your own eyes, Lord willing. They are saying, God told me to tell you. And we're going to put it to the test. Okay? But Lord willing, we'll have to get to that, Jim next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. 
The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's his holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what he already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. But you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave. You will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today. Because tomorrow may be too late.
Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.